You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, crack climbers. Do you want a crack shoe that can easily do it all? From toddler-sized thin tips to soul-crushing off-widths and every single size in between? Well, too bad. Because frankly, that shoe doesn't exist. So this is where the word quiver comes in. Serious rock climbers simply don't rely on a single pair of shoes for everything, amigos. And Sportiva is more than happy to supply the goods. Start with the TC Pro, and you've got the monster-wide, all-the-way-to-thin-hands covered. Then a pair of Eco Mythos will pick up the slack in those smaller, hardest-stuff sizes. Incidentally, both face climb like butter, too. Well, not all slippery and greasy like actual butter, but, you know, delicious and satisfying. Then for the really, really thin stuff, well, you're kind of on your own because those Campfire Indian Creek debates can rage late into the night. Loose sport climbing or bouldering shoe? Mm, that's not a bad bet. Or just stuff those TC Pros and get strong? That works for some. Paddle outside the crack? Seen a lot of really good climbers go that route. Personally, I run a sized up Mira or a Katana and grimace and go. But whatever size is your crack dream or nightmare, Sportiva has the right weapons to drop into your quiver. And they're built to outlast even the most pitiful flailing. Check it all out at Sportiva.com or the local shop that really, really could use your business right now. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Calouse. It is October 3rd, 2020, 9.01 p.m. exactly. And this is episode 206 of the Enormacast, a conversation with alpinist Andres Marin, or Andres Marin. How many R's do I roll in that, Andres? Anyway, he never corrects me when I say his name, so he's, he's, he's a nice guy like that. Anyway, Andres is from Colombia originally. But he's been in the U.S., Colorado mostly, a bit, bit of time in Washington for almost 20 years. And uh, yeah, we get down and dirty on this one, talking climbing. This is a really climbing-centric podcast. I've done a couple where we've, we've diverted quite a bit lately, um, talking with Alexis Krauss last time about music, and I had to stop myself from just pumping her for stories about the sights, the sounds the smells of a hardworking rock and roll band on the road. And, uh, you know, with Favia Dubik, we, we got down uh, into the cancer world 
and uh, got pretty heavy into that. But this one, man, we just talk about climbing. So if you like talking about climbing, or at least listening to people talk about climbing in the case of uh, a podcast where you can't participate, this is your jam. And actually, we recorded two sessions for this one. We recorded one, and then we wanted to actually add a couple things, you know, talk a little bit more about uh, a kind of a heavy-duty topic that we get to in the end. And I ended up, you know, basically getting two podcasts out of that. And I, I worked and worked to try to kind of get them smaller. But then I was like, fuck it. You guys are adults, mostly. Mostly adults. And you have an attention span. I mean, Joe Rogan goes on for three hours most of the time. Like, please. Talking in circles. So here's a great big, very climbing-centric interview with Andreas Marin. And the fact is, is that his voice... His accent, his Colombian accent, just it's like a warm breeze, like a tropical breeze. It's like a warm breeze, like a tropical breeze that has come down from the mountains and swept across the beaches of your mind. Just feel it. Sit back. Relax into it. Colombia. Okay, back to a less soothing sound of my voice. I do want to do a quick commercial for myself, actually. I want to invite you over to The Runout, which is a podcast I'm doing with Andrew Bisharat. A little bit different than this one. More topic-based and more banter, I guess. If you like the TAPS episodes, the the year yearly, whatever you call those, uh, it's a little, little bit more like that. But there's some guests, things like that. So um, come on over and check it out. A little bit more of my personality, I think, in that one. So I don't know, maybe you get plenty of my personality here in the uh, the Rambly intros. Got an email. Somebody just said, hey, I like the Rambly intros. They're almost my favorite part. So there, one person likes them. Okay, enough Rambly intro for today. Let's get to the interview. Andreas Marin, good climber. Great voice. So, Tradsters, tell me who loves you more than Black Diamond. Wait, your mom? Give me a break. She may be good for a warm meal and an emergency check when the Sprinter Turbo shits the bed. But when did your mom ever reduce your rack weight by 30% with a still futuristic cam like the Ultralight Camelot? In the last five years, Black Diamond has refined and redesigned their cams over and over to give you the best protection money can buy. And now, guess what? They took the venerable C3 and X4 and replaced them with the Z4. Wait, what? Just listen. The likes of Hazel Finley and Carla Traversi helped with these from the ground up. Get it? And then Hazel sent Magic Line just to prove their worth. So are they only good for 514? Of course not. They're good whenever you need a low-profile, hard-sticking cam that won't wobble around in your hand like a slippery hot dog when you pull the trigger. So go to BlackDiamondEquipment.com or your favorite local shop to check out the Z4, the latest in a continuing tradition of cam refinement from the climber engineers at Black Diamond. Tell them your mom sent you. Now, what did Bridwell, it was like something like that where they had... Like a biscuit sponsor or something like that. I think you know, I might be wrong, but like when those guys went to try like the uh, the spider face or whatever in Nupse, I think it was sponsored by like 
cam camel cigarettes and and Jack Daniels, dude. Right, Something right, like right, that. right, right. Yeah, he and you can a... see like his patches and smoking cigarette like eight thousand meters yeah, or right. something like that, and you are like, what? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, dude, that's that's badass, you know? Yeah. Like talk, talking about like a sponsor and a style of doing things. Like, well. have you ever seen that? There's like a poster of. Uh... It's a round of the guys in the, the Tour de France, like, trading smokes while they're riding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they used to think it, like, opened your lungs. Yeah. Like, that, that it was, like, this helped you get oxygen. Yeah. Allowed you to, like, paddle faster. Yeah. You know, the more, well, the the more you smoke. Helps, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But there was also, I mean, in those days, they were probably also taking, you know, snorting cocaine at their at the rest stops, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, because, I mean... All Marco Pantani. Who's that? Marco Pantani was like one of the like the most influential, um, kind of like new age cyclist. And man, that guy was just like full party, like full. There is a really good, cool documentary. I think it's called Pantani or I am Pantani or I am Marco Pantani or something like that. But man, like he was the lines of coke was probably like from this side of the table to over there you know and then the next day he was just like running the you know mountain stage of the Tour de France and kicking everyone's ass and all that and right. people were like what are you doing yeah <laughs> they weren't testing yet for yeah, this yeah totally I would imagine yeah, yeah. yeah. well uh, it's it's interesting someone was just telling me do you follow cycling at all you know I should follow more cycling since like the cycling are kicking is like, ass right now exactly right? Yeah. Like, cycling is basically like the second you know sport in Colombia right to football probably. um so and there is so many like superstars who are coming from Colombia and all that that I should follow more but not really I'm like kind of like a fair weather fan yeah you know whenever like the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia or something like that then I start watching are there other races in cycling because I didn't think there was there's just like that one right no and then everyone it's... goes home and waits until the Tour de <laughs> yeah. France the next year <laughs> no no I think it's like the the Vuelta España Giro d'Italia and Tour de France are kind of like they ha have a name it's something like the classics or something yeah. like that but it's there is like the, a bunch of yeah, other yeah, no, races. No, just you know? So, <laughs> but I'm the same way. Like the only thing I know about cycling is Tour de France, and yeah, someone just happened to mention to me that the Colombians, there's Colombians uh, that just did really well. Is the tour over? I think it is over. I don't know. Yeah, is see, it? that's where we're at. We're in we're in rifles, so we have no idea what's going on <laughs> in the world. Or at least you guys don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah, like there is no like cell phone reception no. or anything like that, which was... it makes this place like quite special because of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's funny because, uh, yeah, it, it's special, but then everybody, like, has to drive in and out to, like, deal with it, too. It's kind of like in the creek where, I don't know if you still can, but you used to, like, be able to find a bar by the sign, by the, the toilet or something, and you'd literally see people, like, walking around with their cell phones in the sky. Oh, yeah, like, totally. Yeah, <laughs> trying yeah, to get, yeah. like, just enough to pop a text in and out right. or whatever. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting here. And actually, this weekend, I was here, and I was like, God, I wonder if these people even know that RBG died, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. Because it was, I think it was sort of announced late on Friday, and I was, like, yeah. here on Sunday thinking, like, there's people just blissfully here not knowing yeah. that she's gone. Yeah, or, you know, not caring either, but in some cases. But I also remember that reminds me of when uh, Honold free sold El Cap. That also happened on like a, either a weekend day or it was like right up announced right up against the weekend. And then I came here 
and I was climbing in the morning and I realized that everybody around me had no idea because they'd spent the night and I was just like, Hey everybody, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> I just like basically felt like I rode through the canyon with like megaphone, just like Alex Honnold, free soul, El Capitan, put your grigris down. <laughs> what you're doing is meaningless. <laughs> 80 feet of me have means nothing right now. Um, this is actually your second appearance on the Enorma cast. Is it? Yeah. Is it the second or the third? Have you been on three times? I think one time we did one and something happened with like the record button or something and yeah, well, or something like that. Yeah, because I I can't one, I did two Red Rocks ones and one <laughs> of them like disappeared and the other one didn't. But there's a there's a there's a fan and uh he knows who he is who who oft quotes you. Um so it must have gotten out there at some point. I can't remember how but because yeah. um, he quotes you from the Enorma cast as, as uh, you said that don't ever, don't ever pass up a chance to shut the fuck up. Yeah, was your line that he quotes. Yeah, and so maybe he was there. I don't know because one of those failed and the other one went out into the world. <laughs> that was the early days, man. I was just winging it. With right, the, I right, mean, right. not that these things can't still fail, um, but uh, yeah, I just blew the recording and like I was in the middle of it and like. I could see that the recording was not working, but there was an audience, so it was like, what you was I going to do? You just went for it. So you were like, just, just like, keep well, on going. You know, yeah. You know, I mean, it was for the audience anyway, but right. uh, it just goes... I, I actually kind of stopped doing live podcasts at events because generally the AV support is absolutely terrible. Oh, and so yeah. it's like... I show up and there's like no one knows how anything works and where I plug in and there's nobody around and I was just like oh, I'm t- I'm over this shit so because um, it's hard enough to like run a show that's live on stage and then also you the person recording it like totally you know Terry Gross does not have to do that on Fresh Air like she's no. not also running the board she so. have a full team behind <laughs> yeah, exactly. her just doing everything and she just needs to d- sit there and like you know chat yeah, with do people the thing. and all yeah. that yeah like, totally. anyway yeah. so anyhow somehow it got out there so. You've been on the show in some capacity. At least this guy dreamt it up that you're on the show. But that is a quote that you've uttered, correct? Yeah, it yeah. is a quote that actually I learned from um, Special Forces, working with the Special Forces group. Okay. Yeah. Um, Are you allowed to talk about this? Yeah, you know, okay. like in uh, I used to guide. I don't really mm-hmm. do a, uh, guiding as much anymore. But in one point, uh, I did a couple, basically like cold weather training with these Special Forces uh, teams, mm-hmm. you know, like tier one groups and all that. And we were on this classroom and those guys were joking and, and one thing and another. And then the, the, the leader or the, 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 the cadre of this group is like, you know, like, Hey, you guys remember to never like pass the chance to shut the fuck up. It was like his way of like telling people to like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know, cause we were like doing like all these like avalanche awareness and like winter environment, winter camping and one thing and another, we were like ice climbing and all that stuff. So we needed like, a, we needed to like get going with the curriculum and all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And that stuck to me, you know, and it, it really is like, it's a harsh way to say things, but it makes total sense. Right. You know, and, and I, I actually, I tell myself oftentimes that, it's like, hey, do you like just listen to people more so than, right. than talk? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and you spent how many years guiding? Oh, man, like from maybe, let's see, I moved to United States in 2000, 
at the end of 2002, so from 2003 to maybe three years ago, full time, you know, like starting from like putting boots away and coiling ropes all the way to guiding pretty big objectives in places like Peru and and Alaska and and other places. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a a neat, you know, like part of my life when I look back and I'm like, oh man, like, you know how many times I have summited Mount Rainier? Uh, no. Take a guess. Take a wild guess. Thirteen. No, dude. <laughs> Actually, I just went. One hundred and thirteen. No, not quite. <laughs> I just went back to uh to the Norca skates to do some gear testing for TNF and right. for Petzl, and uh, I did my ninety eighth summit All right. to Mount Rainier, dude. <laughs> ninety eight times. That seems pretty like playing the odds like shit falls off like just random bad shit happens on that on that mountain doesn't it like oh dude things collapse and fall off and rocks fall and i mean it's crazy you know mount rainier the last time i was there last month and we actually had a close call with rockfall and i was like sitting down and thinking about this like how many times i personally went by through all these objective hazards that by the way there is other people who have summit this mountain over 500 times too right you know the the percentage of people who get hurt or die on the mountain right. is actually quite low when you think about it the amount right, of people right. who climb the mountain so at the end of my my time over there, I was like, I was so over it, to be totally honest. Beautiful yeah. mountain, amazing people. I met, like, really good friends forever and all that, and I learned a ton. But, oh, my God, dude, like, that is just the next level. It's like, it's like imagine if you are climbing, like, X-rated something, but instead of climbing, you're walking. Right. <laughs> And it's rocks coming down, right. and it's ice coming down, and it's crevasses, and it's, and then you're tied to people who have never worked crampons before and you're like all right we used to, i used to joke that it's called a walk and hope oh, right. you're walking with people and you're hoping that no one falls because <laughs> otherwise we all go into the bottom of like a crevasse you know right <laughs> yeah those those theoretical things around belaying a rope team are fairly theoretical oh yeah, man yeah. yeah in history has proven that they're yeah. very theoretical. Yeah, like um, you don't have to be a mathematician or a, a physics guy to to figure it out the odds. And mm-hmm. I'm no, I I suck at physics and mathematics. But when you put like, you know, over 300 pounds or over 400 pounds, and on my way, I'm, I weigh 150 pounds. When you crunch those simple numbers, yeah. you know that you have no chance on hell to stop anyone, dude. You're all going to a crevasse and <laughs> most likely you're going to end up in South America or something like that. You know, like, Those holes are so deep that you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, walk and hope. <laughs> this is beautiful. First summit for everyone. High fives. You know, you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> You have former clients listening to this like, oh, man, well, you said it would work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never said that, actually. Oh, I tied <laughs> in, but we ne- I never said anything about why we were tying in. <laughs> I just let you believe that this rope was there <laughs> yeah, for right. some reason. <laughs> right, right. It's like when you climb or when you ice climb or like alpine climb or like when you trail climb and you know you have placed like a bunch of psychological pieces mm-hmm. and you just place them just to make yourself right. feel better and you're right. like, oh yeah, now I'm good to go. Yeah. But you know, they're like, no, fuck, I'm not good to go. No. I'm not good to go at all. You know, yeah. like I'm going to the ground. Yeah, you got to lie to yourself. That's yeah. what guiding's all about, right? Yeah, yeah. Guiding those big mountains. Right. So that you were up there for a long time. 
yeah, yeah, I was there for, man, I was working in the Cascades uh, for close to uh, nine years or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's do the Columbia thing because this is actually a we've known each other a long time actually a very long time yeah yeah we climbed yeah. in the creek I mean right? fifteen years ago at least right like yeah l- at least middle late aughts totally would been uh, I remember like God I remember climbing the Columbian. What was that route out on the out on the Scarface like? Some... The Colombian Hitman. Yeah, oh yeah, Hitman. classic right. yeah, man. Yeah. I remember climbing that with you actually. Yeah, and that was a long time ago. So yeah, so I mean, and, and we've sort of like orbited one another, um, climbed together a little bit way back then, and uh, yeah, and then we just see each other at these damn festivals and things like that, yeah. and coming through town. But I've never really figured out a two things. A, you, you're not from around here. You're from Colombia originally. Um, I don't know if anyone can tell that by listening to you, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is you must. I mean, all the my attempts to have you sent back to Colombia have met with. I don't know what kind of red tape gets in the way, but I've called the government. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like so, something's keeping you here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you said you came in 2002, um, which you was. I mean, you're 37 now, so yeah. uh, you weren't a kid. Uh, so what? How how'd you end up in the U.S. from Colombia? Yeah. So. I went to high school in Colombia and I went to part of college in Colombia. My mom moved to the United States. Okay. Uh, I was raised by my mom and I have an older sister. And then uh, she met someone and then they moved to to uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. Okay. And I had the opportunity to to move to uh, to United States. You know, I wasn't really the best student out there. So my mom at one point I was like, all right, do like... You know, you need to like, you need to get going with something, you know. And and I was like, well, let's let's go to the United States, you know, and and see what happens. The trick with that is like, I came here about a year and a half after nine eleven. Okay. So it was like for me when I landed in, I went from Bogota to, I think it was Houston or something like that. And back then it was like military police around the airport. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. you know, like it was yeah. like full on, you know, and coming from Colombia. So Colombia is like the closest or back then it was the closest country to United States who have who were fighting some sort of war, you know. So when the whole ideal of war on terror uh, after 9-11 went like global, Colombia was the closest one. So like it was a lot of things going down in Colombia and in a super weird way, it was uh, the best thing that happened to Colombia or one of the best things to happen to Colombia. It was like 9-11, believe it or not, just because the government focused so much time and resources and effort to basically like eradicate the the insurgent group in Colombia the and back then the president was all about like George Bush kind of plans against uh the uh the war on terror you know right 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 and now anyhow fast forward to now is is amazing Colombia have changed I mean it's like 360 degrees man mm-hmm. is is like when I start climbing in Colombia there was just a few climbers right you don't go to the mountains you know it was like no man's land over there like you just don't do it rock climbing was the same way it was it was basically like the the tourism or the outdoor recreation it was non-existent right yeah because i mean it was no man's land between i'm sure between what is it the fark or 
all that and then also the you know the narco trade oh, like yeah, yeah it's stay the fuck out of the mountains oh like, dude yeah, yeah. Totally. it was crazy i mean yeah, i gr- yeah. i grew up like seeing like bombs and mm-hmm. like crazy crazy stuff you know like as a kid into a teenager and to an adult and all that i was like it was full on you know it, it, back then in Co- colombia was considered one of like in one point colombia was considered the most dangerous place in the planet you know so Anyhow, and I moved to the United States, and my welcome to the United States is like, oh, you're coming from Colombia. You're a male. You are between this age and this age. It's like, you know, they put you, like, in a room, take all your clothes off, and, like, full pad down. You know, I was like, and I was like, oh, wow, welcome to the United States, right. you know. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy, you know. This is crazy, and Americans have really cold hands. <laughs> <laughs> totally <dude. laughs> But man, like, you know, like fast forward, wow, that's almost like 17 years. It, it, I think it was the best thing for me. It, right. it's, it's amazing to like how in life you make these decisions and one thing leads to another and you get to meet all these wonderful people and, and all these good opportunities. And I look back, which every day, you know, I I I, I take the moment to to be thankful for these opportunities and the people and, and, and all that. And, and, uh, it's just so cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and where, so you were a climber in Colombia before you yeah. landed in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? So my first mountain experience, I was in, uh, my last year of high school. So in Colombia, we only have 11 years mm-hmm. different than here, which is 12 years. And where did you live? In Ivague. Okay. Ivague, Colombia is in uh, uh, in the central mountain range, okay. like nearby the coffee zone. Okay. And we had a, a, a volcano, or we still have a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> it haven't exploded yet. <laughs> but um, a friend of mine like is like, hey, you want to go climb this mountain? And I remember lying to my mom to where I'm going to go. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to my friend's house for a couple of days, you know. Sure enough, we went and we climbed this mountain, which is, you know, it's a 5,000 plus meters. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any idea about like cramponing or glacier travel or avalanche de- uh, awareness. None of that, right. you know. And somehow we made it to the summit and came back down. And and from that point on, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And, uh, and then I started rock climbing a little bit when I went to school, to college in Bogota. There is this uh, area called Suezca, which Suezca, is like the yeah. main place for rock climbing. And I did a little bit of rock climbing there. And then I moved. And then when I end up here, I was like, oh, you know, like I end up in Grand Junction, which have actually pretty good rock climbing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the monument is around right. and all that. And I actually find this place through a friend of mine who used to climb here a lot. So I was working at jobs and driving to rifle to like rock climbing rifle so it's it's pretty cool rifle to me even there is a place that i haven't really spent that much time in the past 17 years every time that i come here it's kind of like a special place it takes me back mm-hmm. to to the beginning i guess uh still pretty hard still like i have to project you know call cuts for a week before i can like send the, the room and be like oh yeah now now it's a warm-up now it's a warm-up again you right, know right. yeah yeah totally i know that feeling and yeah. i fucking live here but uh <laughs> but yeah i mean it will you know marching up and down rainier isn't gonna get you in shape for for rock climbing and rifle no anyway, so no you know, not at all if you yeah. dip in like that it's it's pretty rough yeah so but you've been here for a bit this this trip yeah i've been yeah. here for 
the silver lining about this year, I guess, you know, all the expeditions got canceled. So I was like, hey, let's just focus on rock climbing because mm-hmm. I haven't done that in a long time. Right. And, and I've been here since in and out since June. Mm-hmm. And it's what, September now? I've been here for a long time. <laughs> and I'm still like, still projecting cold cuts. <laughs> Three months ago. No, later. you're not. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, well, let me go back to the to the. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious about Colombia um, because I went there. Uh, I don't know. It was probably six, seven years ago. Four miles was born for sure. Went to Sueca and a couple other crags, kind of local to there. Yeah. Um, and then went over to the plateau to. Um, God, what's it called? Machita? Uh, yeah. No, no, Machata we went there too, but no, uh, the, the Richie and Alex's Refugio La Roca. La Mojara. Oh, La Mojara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went yeah, over yeah. to there. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and, and, you know, what you just said about, like, the difference between, you know, the Colombia we sort of knew about when I was younger, yeah. you know, and again, it, everything we obviously knew about was the, the drug stuff and the, you know, the narcos and Escobar and all that sort of thing. And then we, you know, I was just super impressed actually. And having traveled in South America to various different countries and just kind of, yeah, it seemed really sort of modern and on the up and, and talking with, uh, with the owners of that refugio in particular, you know, some of the changes that had been made, not just, you know, with the, with the, the, the FARC, but also like, you know, having had to quell these paramilitary groups that right. had been, you know, created to fight them, but then it kind of become these mafia group kind of things and how it all was sort of like kind of clearing itself up. And it felt, uh, like I said, it felt really modern, um, and uh, I was super impressed. Like I was like, man, this is like a country I could actually live in, actually. And um, and we only saw a little teeny slice of it, right? Um, but you know, and then you just look around at at you know guidebooks, not climbing, but just you know travel guidebooks, and the, it's an incredible place. Like the the different, you've got beaches and mountains, and you know, big mountains like five five thousand meters is not small, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a cool place. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, man. And, and the people are awesome, you know, like... Yeah, we found that too. Yeah. Yeah. Colombia was, uh, and to an extent right now, still, you know, on, on in war, on a, mm-hmm. on a different scale, like a much smaller scale. But right. Colombia is, is the country who's been the longest on fighting some sorts of war in the modern mm-hmm. uh, history or modern, right. like, uh, world, I guess. Uh, 60 years of that. So... People really, really like appreciate their time and their their their, their freedom, quote unquote, right. and and their time with their families and like people are super happy over there and like upbeat and it's cool, man. It's, it's it's something that you know coming to a country like this where you can like go and do as you please, you know, it definitely put things into perspective for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We and we thought the climbing community was great. Like, yeah, we went everywhere we went. They were psyched to see us as Americans, and they just you know wanted to show off their cliffs and like totally, you know, and yeah. and uh, yeah, it was it was super fun trip. And we only sort of uh, you know did a, it was three weeks or something like that. So we had just this little taste. Yeah, um, but had a really good time, and and would definitely like to go back. And the other cool thing about going to all those places is you don't have a damn uh jet lag like no yeah no no you're talking about like an hour yeah exactly so So it's like yeah yeah, it's nothing and it's super close like i remember when i we flew down there it was just kind of like 
I felt like, okay, I had in my head like the full on, okay, this is an international flight. You know, it's like, here we go, like get settled in for the long haul to Europe or whatever. And it's just like, I got about settled in and it was just like, bing. Yeah, you're like, hey, you're we're, there. you know, we're going <laughs> to land. I was like, oh, yeah, you look at a map and it's kind of like, you know, it's right there by Florida. Like, because, you know, we hopped through Miami or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a cool place. And I, I definitely recommend uh, anybody who wants kind of expedition light sort of rock climbing trip yeah. is uh, it's, a, it's a cool place. But w- where else is there to climb besides those two places? That Oh, man, there is a ton of different places, uh, especially nowadays, you know. Um, there is this cave that a good friend of mine has been developing. There is just so much climbing to be to be done over there. It's, yeah. it's, it's not like a, a world-class place per se, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but like you mentioned, just to to go for like the adventure and a, a new place to go is, is super, super cool. Uh, what drew you into guiding then when you did, you're, you're futzing around in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is, is funny, like yeah. Colombian kid, just like, Hey, why don't you come and move to Grand Junction, Colorado? Like, so, you know, so- <laughs> everybody's like, Oh God, another Mexican guy. You're like, no, no, it's Colombia. Where is Colombia? What part of Mexico is Colombia? You know, exactly. It's like, oh man, it's so crazy. Um, so I study in Colombia, like the year, the 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 time of I, that I spent in in a university there. I study uh, uh, percussion and sound engineering, okay. actually. So when I moved to Grand Junction, I wanted to keep going with that. But then I realized that a lot of my credits didn't really transfer, and my English back then. Uh, it wasn't really that good. So I I really needed to start from the very, very beginning. I was like, oh man, like that sounds like a lot of like work. And through like climbing with friends and stuff, um, I learned about the AMGA, you know, like going to like guide school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You know, like climbing and guiding and all that. So I started like taking courses and, and exams and one thing and another. And, and literally just one thing led to, to another. And I started guiding a lot and, and learning the craft of, of guiding. And I actually was like in Grand Junction. Then I started like guiding in, in uh, Washington. And I got a gig uh, to start guiding in Uray. Mm-hmm. Ice guiding over there, you know. So one of my very first days of of guiding uh, in Ure for San Juan Mountain Guides, this guy uh, Clint Cook, good friend of mine, he he uh, um, basically offered me a job. And my first uh, season basically was like putting boots away and coiling ropes, mm-hmm. you know. But it was really cool back then because like Jeff Lowe is still around, you know. He was kind of like the guy, or he was one of the most instrumental. Uh, climbers to start the ice park and all right. that so back then he's still like ice climbing and all that and to be honest i didn't know who jeff Lowe was so it was really cool to see the jeff Lowe guy and he's like hey put these boots away and coil these ropes and i was like and the fuck is this guy who tells me to like do all this mustache. all the time you know <laughs> um and mike o'donnell and all these like all time you know ice climbers and it, i i learned a ton from those guys and it was really really neat you know um one of my actually very first like guiding gigs, uh, it was for Lynn Hill. So Lynn Hill and I took a course, a guiding course, believe it or not. She was she needed to take this course for uh, insurance purposes. Mm-hmm. So I end up like 
taking this AMGA course with her. And in one point, I'm like climbing Calypso in, uh, in Eldo, right? <laughs> and then my instructor for, back then... For, uh, for th- th- those that are not initiated, that's like 5'7", five, 5'6", seven, five, yeah, five, seven. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like playing guys, you know, yeah. and like my instructor is right there with me in the, uh, in the anchor. And then he's like, hey, part of guiding is like you need to like coach, you know, tell people like what they are doing good and all that. And I'm like looking down on Lynn and I'm like, hey, Lynn, I, I think you need to improve a little bit more on your footwork and all that, you know, and it was hilarious to like the instructor. He was just like laughing and Lynn was looking at me like, what the fuck? He's just like laughing too. And I'm like, good job. Yeah, good you, job, good you look job. a little gripped in there. So yeah. I want you to relax yeah, yeah. a little bit and all that. And so she's like, hey, like, you want to you wanna help out on this like climbing camp that she was doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I met Greg Leuven through okay. there, you know. And I was starting to climb in the desert a little bit. And I knew about Craig Leuven. So I was like, oh, Craig's like, wow, you know, like working with him and, and, and all that. Uh, so, yeah, so like one thing led to another, you know. And uh, I clicked with Craig really well. And, and we started climbing like off weeds and all that. And, and one of the... One of the most amazing times that I had in Indian Creek is actually was like a, uh, a season with him over there where we climb all the off weeds on big bros only, you know, like no camps, no anything. It's just right. like putting big bros. That's like, like free soloing. Pretty harder. much, Only dude. harder, like, because you have to stop and place and things. And place those fucking tubes. Yeah, and plus I'm they're like, clanking oh on you. God, dude. <laughs> and like you kick one thing and they fail down and the other thing, like kick the other thing and you all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to die, you know, like I'm going to fucking die right now. <laughs> so, but we spent... All right, right. Yeah. wait, wait, wait. We got to keep going on that okay, track because right. I love that story. And I, I think actually I camped with you guys uh, and with Craig and I think it was the whole family. I think yeah. it was Sylvia and Julia and him. And I think we were all camped in the in the Super Bowl or something together because I have a really nice picture of of uh, Craig with Julia on his shoulder on his shoulders. But um, we got to go back to that. But all right. have you ever taken a whipper, a full on above the the bro whipper onto a, a big bro. You know, I have taken I I have fallen on big bros, okay. but it wasn't like the full on like ten feet above it, and I'm like oh, I'm going. No, how about just feet above it? Oh yeah yeah yeah, like three or four or five feet. But you know, it's like it's off with climbing. You're like you're there, and all of a sudden you are just sliding down. Right, so right, it's right. kind of like friction because you have like half of your body inside of the crack. So like friction helps a little right, bit right, with that. Right, right. I did uh, watch. Uh, Craig taking an upside down full on fall on a big bro on this route um, in the Caldwell it's called the mousetrap like full on I was like I was just bullying the guy and he's like placing big bros and all of a sudden his feet are over his head and, and he's like in and all of a sudden he's not in and, and uh, Craig was a pretty big yeah, guy yeah, no, right? he wasn't like, small he was like, right 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 and I was like alright no, here we go like, what's gonna happen 50-50 <laughs> he's gonna end up like I remember, like, I'm, I, I have you. I'm going to catch you in the second bounce in the ground or something because I don't know if this thing's going to hold. And uh, sure enough, the hell. But <laughs> till this day, dude, like, every time I see a big bro, I'm like, oh, my God, dude. Like, <laughs> thank God that they make these gigantic camps nowadays, you know. Black well, Diamond awesome. just came out with like, those big camps. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. They're really big. I don't know if they get as big as the biggest big bro. That's a t- tongue twister for you. Big is the biggest big bro. Yeah. But uh, they're damn close. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, there's such this myth- mythical thing 
uh, the big bro among off with climbers. And I've actually been searching for an eyewitness or an actual experience of someone whipping on a big bro. And I think you're the first guy that I've gotten both from or, or either one of them. Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, you see back then you were able to like find here and there the the valley giants right but they were super rare yeah. you know like yeah. very like, they were probably like five or something in the world right. or yeah, in the country or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah like, or less made, than that yeah. and they were super expensive and they were super heavy and it, it just it wasn't the thing and that was actually before black diamond used to make the number six yeah yeah because black diamond only made the number five, five. yeah yeah and it wild was bigger country, than the new number five, but it wasn't as big as the six. Correct. Yeah. And Wild Country used to make a number six, but for some reason, Wild Country, it, it wasn't like number sixes weren't around. Right, right. Basically. Yeah, no, you no. Know? They, they just, there was no, I mean, I mean, they obviously did the market research, but it's just weird that they would make those giant cams because I just can't imagine they sell that many of them. But right. apparently that it's worth it. Because, I mean, imagine the tooling that goes into creating something new like that. Oh, man, but, yeah. Uh, and I've always just – that's why. is because it's like no one likes to climb these things. But then, you know, somewhere, I don't know, about a decade ago, it became cool to climb off with. Oh, it and became totally are. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And actually, you're one of the first guys – and I know Craig always was too, but I never climbed with Craig. You're the first guy I climbed with that could like legitimately like scamper up gnarly off west and that's kind of like the yeah it was way back at sort of the beginning of yeah of kind of the revolution that started not that you started it but it was sort of gaining steam i mean that was probably like 10 or 15 years ago and yeah. uh yeah now it's like this totally cool thing yeah yeah now back then i think that the, the off with aficionados were like a handful of people sure i think yeah yeah you know yeah. everyone else is like off with all oh, like oh my god we don't want nothing to do with that you know um, and the other thing that really didn't exist even then that much or maybe at all was like these inverted kind of things no because like, i don't remember and i know that none of the old kind of lube and test pieces were really anything weird like that it was more of the old just the struggle squeeze kind yeah of, kind of climbing yeah. and stacking and stuff like that right. but the big upside down thing didn't come in until later either yeah i so. think it was like maybe like lucille in vida Vu yeah. and then Belly full of bad berries and uh, yeah, so really, from another planet or something yeah, yeah, like that. That yeah. was kind of like the few things that you actually like had to get full yeah, on, like yeah. upside down, yeah, and, yeah, and, exactly. and all that. And that really, you're talking about a you know, there's Scarpelli and that is right. Brad Jackson, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, you know, so there really were just these handful of dudes here in the west, like doing these yeah. crazy off with cracks as, as like a, a, a thing. Um, but anyway, so back to your story and talking about meeting Craig. And, uh, yeah, and just being in your way and kind of like, you know, making these connections with these guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just c continue on. You're, you're guiding, you're super getting into ice climbing. The other thing, you know, we were just talking about the off with thing is that 2002, that's when you moved here. So this was only a few years later. Yeah. Um, and so there's also like the 2000s was a big revolution in ice climbing, I think. Totally. Um, as well, you know, in, in terms of gear, because here you are talking about like meeting Jeff Lowe, who had created a revolution, you know, 20 years earlier. Right. Uh, with, with gear. But now suddenly like gear was really sort of catching up and, and making ice climbing something that wasn't just, a you know, a brutal knuckle bashing nightmare yeah. every time you went. So yeah. So talk about like the interest you had in that because you know, you're, you're all over the place, but one of the things that you really got into obviously was ice climbing. Yeah. You know, I think it just between spending time on, on, uh, 
uh, on the Pacific Northwest in the summertime and like in the desert in the spring and and in autumn and then the winter time in Uray it was kind of it was like my circuit right. you know and talking about people that I met uh, maybe the second winter that I spent in Uray I met this guy Gila Sell you know Gila Sell is sure. like for whoever doesn't know or who's listening out there who doesn't know Gila Sell Gila Sell is basically the most prolific ice climber and soloist out there, you know. So for me, as a like new ice climber, I used to see this guy Gilasel like soloing because he used to spend about a month or so in Ure, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like in the beginning of 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 the winter to to like get ready for uh, the Canadian season because he he was from from Canada, you know, French Canadian guy. And I remember just seeing the guy, like this guy who looked super old. His helmet was always like in the back. I don't know why he wore a helmet because he, like, if you see a photo of him, his helmet was always in the back. But he was always like soloing things, you know? And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. And he had like prototypes because he used to work for Petzl. So he had like the latest and greatest. And back then, like ice climbing was like, even in guiding, you know, it's like you solo everything, you know? Yeah, because the screws are, you know, if you put it, there's all psychological. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I grew up, or or my ice climbing career, uh, I, I grew up learning to, like, you, you first of all, you never fall, obviously, and you still, nowadays, you don't fall, but you solo all the time. And I was just, like, you know, like, soloing around, and, and uh, uh, I clicked really well with Gila Sale, you know, this, like, world-class climber, and he took me under his wing, and uh, we were, like, climbing together, soloing together, and, like, mixed climbing, which we, we did use ropes for that. So um, it was kind of like a—it was a really neat time of my life, just learning from, from someone like Craig and, and, and uh, uh, Gila Sale and all those, you know, like— uh, iconic kind of mm-hmm. figures on on their own sport um so it was really neat you know uh that by the way those guys were they basically introduced because Craig Lewin used to be a really good ice climber mm-hmm. you know and those guys brought ice climbing they somewhat discovered ice climbing in china and with this guy stefan Husson. um so they went on this huge expedition put like all kinds of crazy first ascents and all that and uh Craig and, and uh, Guy LaSalle, they actually died the same year. Oh, really? Yeah. Craig in August and Guy in uh, in December. Right. And, and yeah. Guy was at the Bo- Bozeman Ice Fest. Is Correct. That right? And got yeah. wiped out by an avalanche. Yeah. But uh, but anyhow, talking about my journey, it, my journey has just really been like being in the right time at the right place, I guess, right. and learning from amazing people and just being inspired by them and many others. And... Uh, yeah, just just being stoked. You right, know, just right, put right. your time and do it over and over and over again. Uh, the first expedition that I went to, like big expedition abroad, you know, I started like climbing in Alaska because I was guiding Denali. So either before or after a Denali trip, I used to do a, a personal trip in Alaska. But then my first like big uh, expedition was in uh, Kyrgyzstan in 2010. Mm-hmm. We went to Kyrgyzstan and... Uh, we went to this really cool area between Kyrgyzstan and China, which was a really crazy experience, you know, because we thought that we had all these logistics all figured out. And then the logistics, um, this guy, this Russian uh, logistical agency who were uh, 
doing the logistics for us in Bishkek, they totally changed the price on us. And all of a sudden, it went from like a an affordable expedition. We got the Mock Stomp grant uh-huh. to go on this expedition. All of a sudden, it went to like this crazy number, like helicopter flies and all that. And, and back then, I was like, no, we don't have money for that. So we basically end up like having to drive for two days and then we rode horses for four days to <laughs> to base camp. I mean, by the time we got to base camp, we needed like close to like five days just to recover from right. like, I mean, I don't know, like that was my first time like riding horses for day after day for four days. I was destroyed, dude. Like my back, my kidneys, all my organs. I was so <laughs> done, you know. So, what like, you, so you basically like just said no to these these russian guys and then had to just piece it together yourself or did they exactly yeah yeah we literally went from point a to point b Mm -hmm. and then organized things to get to point c and Mm -hmm. and so on you know like we just like full on start making it who was on the trip uh a good friend of mine um philippe philippe willock yeah yeah and um see the black canyon philippe yeah the ranger dude right right yeah 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 we don't climb as much anymore um we just kind of went around ways and all right. that. But uh, it was a great experience. And being up there with him was cool. And he had experience around the part of the world. So it was kind of like neat to have someone who's like, I got this, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and we actually ended up climbing two new peaks. Uh, and one of them was a, like quite big uh, uh, phase that we climbed. And that was the first time that I actually realized the the danger that is the that comes with like first ascent in the mountains you know we climb this pretty big phase we thought we we're going to be able to drop down into china because we literally were climbing these mountains that separates kyrgyzstan and china and uh to our surprise we couldn't you know like we were looking the other side of the ridge and it was like there's no way we can go down so we decided to like start traversing into this snow ledge and I was in the front and I was putting some screws for like running belays and all that. And uh, it was pretty late on the day. <clears throat> and an avalanche came down, actually. And uh, since we were like about 60 meters between, far apart, I guess, uh, the avalanche came between us, pulled down on us just because we were connected to the rope. Two screws fell and one screw hell, and that's basically what I, like save our lives, you know. And uh, we made it back down to base camp and all that. But that very first experience, it really came in a full throttle experience to me, you know. Like, and I realized I was like, oh shit, like this is, this is, this is full on. This is what. A, right, it's not the ice park. This is not an ice park, <laughs> exactly. This is not like the school room on the ice right. park, you know, or like Rider Vale or any right. of that. It's right. like is 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 for real. Would there have been a political problem with going down into China? Were you guys able to? Is that was that you're coming from Kyrgyzstan and then you just pop over the border into China if you'd have turned up at some base camp down there? Oh, we wouldn't be in a world of shit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're basically like crossing like yeah, border yeah. with like, like oh, no hello yeah he's like you're, hey how's it going Colombian but you live in the United- wait wait <laughs> can we have some tea please <laughs> yeah no we would be like in so much trouble but right. it was yeah, it's right. a super remote place right, right. and no one was around okay. uh, but the geography really was yeah. like this side Kyrgyzstan the other side China right. you know so right away for me I was like all right this is 
this is the price, this is the potential price that mm-hmm. you that you pay to to climb in the mountains, especially like expeditionary style kind right, of things, right, you right. know, first ascent and all that. But man, I really liked it. And uh, after that year, I just started going to, to expeditions, you know, like different places like Peru and Nepal and Pakistan and just as, as Alaska, obviously, mm-hmm. that's kind of like one of the places well, that I call let's, stomping Let's grounds. go back there real quick before we move on to that, this idea that like that climb and that experience put that into your head. Um, I, it's interesting, but not surprising that, you know, you at that point, you you had definitely known, you know, plenty of people who had died in the mountains, you know, already at that at that point in your life you guided around you know in the Alaska range so you knew the potential you know in a remote way but it's it's interesting that you know for us it has to like it has to happen to you personally totally. to, to like make it feel real or make it like well i mean i think one of the things climbers do especially alpine climbers is you just have this attitude that it's going to happen to somebody else not cuz not you, you know, you, right. you can't be thinking that every time you step in the mountains. So, um, it just is interesting that, yeah, it's like all of a sudden, like, okay, here I am. I've seen it. I've heard about it. I know people, but it just about happened to me. And now I know, like, now I'm going to have to like, think about the potential of, of danger of what's going on around me. Right. It's like a first hand experience. And mm-hmm. once you get that, you're like, oh, right. wow, that just becomes like ingrained on you. You right. know, you're like, oh, wow, this is. This is for real. Yeah. Did it change the way you approach the mountains at all? It didn't, but it did. It didn't in the sense that like now it's like now I know what it takes right. in a way, you know, like. So it didn't deter you? Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. You know, like, right. I mean, I, I was super scared. Don't get me wrong. And I was like, oh, my God, this just happened to us. And like, what a reality check. But in the same time, um, I was like, hey, this is this is part of the deal you know and fast forward now to 2020 i have lost since since then i have lost man like over 16 friends right you know and a lot of those were like super close to me like best friends and all that so it's a little bit of um a love or hate with the mountains you know like this is the place that i like to hang out and 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 train for and go and and explore and all that but in the same time i look around i'm like you know, I have photos of friends of mine, and and uh, I have this little journal that I keep, and and uh, yeah, a lot of these guys are gone. Right. You know, so that does take a toll because you take when you go to the mountains. You know, every step that you take, it could go, it could mean, it could go either way. You know, uh, so, so literally, you are taking hundreds of decisions in one day that it could turn out into like a tri- tragedy or or uh or a big accident or something like that you know but i guess that's life you know you just you just keep going with it and be thankful for the people that you got to to meet and, and uh what you learn from them and carry that torch and hopefully like passing to other generations and and all that stuff so yeah so what do you i mean if you can't you you sound like maybe you keep a journal or not maybe let me say that again so you keep a journal um about these experiences what is it what is the draw then do you think like what have you ever have you ever i mean this is like the million dollar like climbing question right of like what the what's the fucking point but or you know what do you think it is that keeps you just 
wanting to go back? Man, that is a good question. And, and I, I oftentimes ponder into that and I don't really have an answer, you know, is is just that's that's who I am, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's how many other people are too, you know, like the whole process of going to a remote place and and doing the hike and and uh, and the base camp and the advanced base camp and the conditions and I don't know, the beautiful places that you, you get to be and, and how like deep you have to dig into these situations you know when you're literally are looking death in the eyes i guess you know and you're like all right well we we're gonna have to make it you know because oftentimes you have to go to the top in order to come back down you right. know but it's like the whole saying of the point of no return is totally true you know there's some times when you're like okay we're gonna start rappelling from now from here down and uh other times you just don't have the gear to like start repelling and be like, oh yeah, we're going to be down in base camp, you know? So I think it's part of that level of commitment is what really keeps me going back. But I think it's just the journey of mm-hmm. it all that is just, I find it like super, super fulfilling, you know, like um, it's just, that's who I am, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about what you just said with, uh, uh, you know, this ac- this avalanche that was almost an accident, almost the end of you, you know, with the t- two ice crews failing. How it, I think it's, like, interesting. A lot of times when you're super exhausted, there's this weird relationship starts with fear and with, like, danger. You kind of, like, I don't know. It's, like, hard to explain. I don't even know if I'll leave this in here, but, like... I've been in situations where stuff has happened where I would have normally been like completely, you know, terrified. And I was just like so exhausted that you're just like, well, that just happened. You know, like (laughs) totally, dude. Absolutely. You're like, oh, wow. We almost got taken down. He's like, oh, fuck it. Let's just keep on going. You know, I mean, it's like hour 20 and we got to just fucking keep going. You know, should we make some water? Yeah, right. It's like, it's pretty interesting. And it's almost like, there can be this revelation later. And I've actually heard literally about that where people, you know, wake up later. Yeah. Weeks later. Totally. Terrified oh, man, like, or whatever or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And again, even in like the minor things that I've dealt with and, you know, I've, I've got my own stories. But, uh, but yeah, just like this weird exhaustion of like, well, that happened or like, well you know, at least we'd have been able to stop, you know, or whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) It's like sometimes you just, you're so in the moment that once you get removed or you are removed from the situation and you actually get to like dive deep into that and you actually realize the uh, scale of of what you went through or like the... uh, the emotion that went through that, then you actually like, oh, wow, this is just, just happened, you know? It's, uh, and usually that happens to me either in base camp or when I'm go back to whatever, Talkina or Islamabad mm-hmm. or Kalmandu or, or when I'm even back at home, you know? Right. And I'm like, wow, like, damn, that this just happened, you know? And we totally walked away from right, this right. deal. And, and, uh, and sometimes actually I get, not too often, but I do get nightmares, you know, mm-hmm. like go back to those moments or like revive those situations. And you're like, whoa, like wake up. And you're like, what just happened, you know? So, but that's just part of the deal, I guess. And that's just, we all choose our own journeys mm-hmm. and some of the journeys are different than others. And that just, yeah, that's just how it goes. How long ago was it that you went 
to the Trango, the Great Trango Tower. That was in uh, 2018. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. and, and it wasn't, it was a quite interesting story because, so Anna Faf, which is part of the, a, f- a friend of mine and part of the, the North Face team, that was a, kind of like a, a, a dream of her to climb that. Okay. You know, and I was, I wanted to go to India actually to alpine climbing. Uh, and she's been on this area in India that I wanted to go. So talking with her about India, she's like, hey, I'm going to go to Trang- to the Trango Towers. Would you like to come? And I'm like, every time that I think about like B-wall rock climbing, A-climbing, all that, just like all my body aches. Right. You know, like I think about like sitting on a harness for hours and hours and hours. And I'm like... That's kind of totally like the opposite of what I have kind of like developed or focused from the past 10 years, you know? And I was like, the first time it was a hard no. I was like, no, thank you. Like, that just sounds like like suffering, you know? And the videos that I have watched is like the Russian guys up there and the Norwegian pillar dudes, you know, the Norwegian guys up there. I was like, no, no way. Well, you'd never want to watch the Russians. Because those guys, like, they just suffer for suffering's right. sake. That's, like. that's totally true. But in the same time, it's like they give you kind of like inspiration. Yeah, right, right, you right, know, right, like, yeah. like whenever what? you think it's, it's bad, you're, you're like, like, do you remember the movie when the Russians are like suffering? It's like, yeah. we have it pretty good. You yeah, know, we're like, not even getting close to the Slovenians, let alone the, let yeah. alone the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> so then, like, this trip to uh, India didn't really happen just because the, the whole, like, area where I wanted to go, it was just like political, unstable and one thing and another. So then it was another chance to, for me to join Anna and David Alfrey because David was on a, uh, on this trip. So I was like, yeah, let's let's go. Dave will yeah. take care of all that. Hey, oh, he'll dude, take care yeah. of all that wall climbing oh, business. Oh man, he's just so good at that. <laughs> right. So we went to Yosemite and it was like a full on crash course on like how to do short fixing and like speed climbing and one thing and another and learning from him. It was like super, super awesome. You know, like we had these prototypes of uh, uh, the inflatable portal edges mm-hmm. and one of them wasn't really holding the air. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, is I remember what I don't like to like be wall climbing, you right. know, like, but it was really cool to like just get a full on modern uh, be wall climbing like mentorship from him. And we went and we climbed in Yosemite and then, and then we ended up going to, to the Trango Towers, you know, and uh, it was really cool. Like Jonathan Schaefer and Pete Fassel joined us for mm-hmm. that um, expedition. Jonathan who? Schaefer. Huh. Right. Yeah, that yeah. Guy, I never... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Talking about under the radar, guys, He's going to be right? pissed. Yeah, he's going to be pissed yeah. that his name even came yeah. up on here. And the crazy like, part is... take that out of there. I dude, don't exist. <laughs> dude, those guys put a huge new route on the uh, Hanabrock North, mm-hmm. and you'll never hear Yeah, I never heard of it. I mean, yeah, there I is people so who have gotten the probably the Pulet Dior for... Pretty amazing ascents, but not quite. I mean, when I was looking, because right. the the, the uh, Hannahbrook North is right across from uh, base camp, and you look at that thing, you're like, oh my god, it, it looks as as impressive of any of the walls over there, you know? Well, it's funny, like there's all through actually the history of climbing, there's been these climbers that emerge that there's rumors about like what they actually do for a living, and if they're like 
spies or like CIA <laughs> guys or whatever. And he's, I mean, I know he's like, he does construction and like, I think, and just pieces stuff together. Yeah. But he also reminds me of one of those guys where you're just like, well, what is, what, who is that? Like, what is he actually doing? Like 30, you, before we started talking on the mics, we were talking about how like climbing stories get bigger and bigger and more yeah. fantastical and heroic as they get told over the years. And I feel yeah. like Schaefer will be one of those guys that, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like, you know, like British secret service or something like that. And like, uh, yeah. Oh no, that dude was total CIA. For yeah, sure, totally. 100%. Yeah. 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 Like some like. Russian or German <laughs> yeah, exactly, spy or something exactly, like that. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool, man. Like watching those guys climbing, that really was was fun. And we did our, our own fair amount of like climbing too. You know, we we so we basically like uh, our goal it was to climb the Great Triangle Tower, acclimatize in the Great Triangle mm -hmm. Tower in the 1984 route. You know, which we did, and it's a route that is like a little bit of a. Um, Mixed climbing and like low angle ice and, and snow and this crazy summit that you have to do. Um, so technically speaking, it's not the hardest things, uh, but it's like super exposed the right. whole time. You right. know, really, really exposed. So so we did that and then we went and we did the eternal flame on the nameless tower or the uh, triangle tower. Okay. Let's clear all that up. Yeah. So... There's the Trango, there's there's Nameless, Great, what, which ones are which? What, what is the deal? Like, those aren't, there isn't like Trango, Great Trango, and Nameless. Is, is there three towers? No, well, so the Massif right. itself, the Trango right. Massif, we have, right. uh, let me see if I remember this correctly, have like four summits. Okay. So you have the Great Trango Tower, you have the Trango Monk, which is like a tower within... Right, but the massive, and then you have the nameless tower, which is technically the triangle tower. It's not the, the great triangle tower, but it's the triangle tower. <laughs> That's and then, the, I think the confusion comes in. Right, and then you have the triangle re. Okay. On the uh, on the left side, which is the tallest one. Right. You know, in terms of like altitude, right? Um. So yeah. So you you get a little bit of like the triangle tower, the great triangle tower, the nameless tower, like yeah, yeah. Okay, all the cool. all the triangles. You know. Okay. Um, and then we went and we did the, the eternal flame on the, uh, on the nameless tower, which was like, it was really cool. You know, it's like El Capitan, actually a little bit taller than El Capitan, but, uh, 20, 21,000 feet. So it was really cool, um, adventure and just be well climbing at that altitude. And there is actually like ice climbing and mixed climbing involved on that route. 30 some pitches 37 pitches or so mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was it was pretty neat to be like in the middle of the Karakoram you know on the Baltoro glacier just being like surrounded by all these gigantic towers because on the same valley you have Shipton Tower you have the Cut Ear Spires and you have Uli Biajo, which is one of the most incredible that things that thing looks like a monster oh man it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And talking with like John Ross Kelly, who did uh, the first ascent of Olivia on the Great Triangle Tower with other people too. Um, it was just really cool to talk with someone who's still alive and just like, you know, you look at these formations and you're like, wow, like crazy those guys did this in the 70s, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, it was really neat, man, just being up there and like uh, 
climbing the tower on, on a style of like B wall, but also like alpinism, just mm -hmm. to kind of like put it all together. Because we didn't bra um, portal ledges or anything okay. like that, or big uh, holdbacks or anything. We just had seen their backpacks uh, lightweight and then just going as fast as we could, which and still took three days okay. to climb. Right. You know? And uh, yeah, it was moments of like rocks coming down through our tent on high camp. There is this high camp. It's called the, the Red Star Camp, you know, when David Lama, because he was there. He was the one who gave us a lot of the information about the, the, the Trango Tower. And uh, the Pope brothers actually gave us some, some information about it. And, and uh, Lama. They're like undercling, totally. crimp, crimp, then, you know, side pull. And you're just like. Cam, Cam. Oh, so so we were like in the uh, in the summit athlete in Puerto Rico, where like all the athletes for North Face go and get together mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all that. And I was talking with the Pope brothers; those guys are awesome. And they asked me like, "So what are you doing the Crocs pitch?" I was like, "Oh, I, you know, like I took like the point five, I jam in the crack, and I pull as hard as I could on that thing for a forty feet." And then like. The face of disappointment of those yeah, guys. Exactly. Like, oh, like, we weren't up there to like free that thing. You know, it's only been free once. Anyways, like, it's like, yeah. I, we were just like trying to get to the summit of that right thing, on. you yeah, know? Yeah. But it was really, really cool. And being up there with Anna and, and Dave, uh, Dave it, was, it was really cool. And just seeing the way how he just A climbs and moves in the vertical rock is amazing, mm -hmm. dude. Like, you know how, like, for me at least, which I'm not an A climber or B wall climber for that matter. I mean, I have climbed B wall, I have climbed the cap and half dome and long routes, but I, I, by no stretch of the word, I will consider myself a B wall climber. But watching him just like plug a cam and just start climbing on those things is like, and he also was using like these things called Alfifi. You know where those things are? So it's basically like if you take a uh, a speed daisy mm -hmm. from Jade's, yeah. But in at the end, instead of having the carabiner, you have a, a yeah, fifi, fifi hook. hook. Yeah. So yeah. you can do all kinds of crazy things with those. You know, like I was just mind blown <laughs> by how he moved with those things and how really like that tool allows you to do all kinds of th stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's it's wild, and it's like I have I am a big wall climber. Was yeah, definitely past tense. Uh, oh no! Actually, two years ago I climbed a big wall. That counts. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's interesting because I know like I only from actually from this show and from talking to Dave and you know and talking to Quinn and all these people who who you know speed climb and it's like we both call ourselves big wall climbers, but it's like I'm a, it's like the equivalent is I'm like a straight shaft ice climber to like their you know fully high tech you right. know everything bent shaft like. Yeah. You know, just that's the difference between like the big wall climbing that I did practically and like what a guy like like Alfrey's doing. You yeah, know? I have. I mean, and I have no idea. Yeah. Like I have only a vague idea. Yeah. Like we had Fifi hooks, but I have no idea what you're talking about when he's like just speeding up a pitch with them. Yeah, know? it's like it's it's pretty yeah. cool to watch, and it was really cool to watch him up there on the hill wall because pretty steep, how he was moving and all that and. And uh, we had a little bit of weather at the end. Like the guy who was doing the the forecast for us was spot on. This guy Jim Woodmansey mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He was like by the hour, dude. He he basically was like, you guys have twenty four hours of of uh or forty eight hours, I think it was right. for a weather window. 
and we were talking with him on, via InReach, and then all of a sudden he's like, the, your weather window just like reduced by like 12 hours or something like that. And we were like in in a uh, sunny terrace, which is 12 pitches up, and we had a powwow, you know, like, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to go full throttle and we can see the weather coming? And and we just decided to go up and, and uh, yeah, we climbed the tower. And then, like, the last four pitches of the tower is actually ice climbing and snow climbing. I was the one who's going to, like, take care of that because that's mm-hmm. my cup of tea. And I didn't really bring that much of in terms of uh, ice climbing mm-hmm. gear. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like climbing up there being like, because we were linking as many pitches as we could. Right. And I would link like three pitches at the top. And I just remember like, the cl- you know, it's the, the classic like one screw like 30 feet below and you're climbing like super thin ice and you're like, oh man, I wish I would have like way more ice crews and all that. But uh, it was cool, man. Um, we climbed the tower and came back down and... Uh, it was a it was a pretty magical experience up there, and then once we climbed the tower back in base camp, I had a couple of days of kind of like reflection, and and we have plenty of 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 days left in base camp, and and actually like good weather after the storm because we did uh, the storm did hit us when we were rappelling down, and it was pretty kind of like crazy experience. So I decided to go and solo the 1984 route on the Great Triangle Tower, base camp to base camp on a single push. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. And that was the route you'd done? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you, I yeah. already knew right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. what happened. Nonetheless, you go from 13,000 feet just to shy of 21,000 feet and back. And it's, it's, like I say, it's not the the most technical things, but you are actually like rock climbing and mixed climbing and ice climbing and, and I'll die. And I was, when I got to to the summit it was actually I was like 10 feet below the summit because the summit itself we have like this gnarly cornice right on it you know but it was really nice to be out there by yourself and just seeing like K2 and Broad Peak and uh, K1 Mashabrum and uh, all these other peaks and all the other towers and, and it's it's a cool thing that to be there by yourself and just to take it all in and, and uh, reflect on 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 life and and all that you know it's it's kind of like a reflection point yeah i reckon but i always feel like when i hear those stories because uh you know even uh like timmy o'neill's talking about like soloing amit Blama, which is a whole like you know definitely not as serious as what you're on but and he was up there at night uh when he topped out and like But just that idea of like reflecting, I'm always like in the back of my mind, like, yeah, but don't, don't reflect too much on how you're by yourself. Like, I feel like, you know, like, like, let me reflect for a minute, but let me not go down the rabbit hole that I actually am alone here right now. And like, I still have to go down. Like, let's keep that little bit of information, like kind of just simmering in the background. Because if you started to like really, you know, trip out on that, all of a sudden you'd just be like. Holy shit, I'm all by myself. Oh, like, totally, fucking. dude. Totally. And you're like, wait, how am I? I'm going to have to down climb these. And right, right, right. I had a little, uh, like a, a rope, a tagline with right. me, you know, 60 meter of tagline. And you're like, how am I going to like descend from like, you know, 20,500 feet down to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, 13,000 yeah. feet? And all so that. I just feel like it's like you must have to sort of compartmentalize your, your philosophical musings and just be like, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna muse about this, but I'm not gonna muse about that right now until no. I'm like done with it. Yeah, totally, dude. And it just kind of like gives you that that sense of like you do so much preparation for something, then you get to the summit and then you literally spend like five or ten minutes mm-hmm. and and then you come down. Then you're just you know? like, oh so, shit, I gotta get out of here because yeah. I got a lot to do. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was really Well, let me cool. ask you this too about that. I mean, did you feel solid the whole way? Were there times when you were just like, you had to sort of keep the, the dragon at bay in terms of fear, you know, like, uh, like Honald always talks about, like, you can't, you can't let the, you know, people like talk about how we're adrenaline junkies and he's all like, no, no, if you let the adrenaline start, you're in, you're in trouble, you know, on, on a free soul. Did you have moments where you're like, okay, like, don't let this get out of control right now. Or did you feel pretty solid on the whole thing? No, no, absolutely. You definitely feel, or for me at least, fell a couple of times when I, you need to be like, Hey, like this is, you need to be on, on your right. toes, right? you know, um, literally on your toes. Cause um, I mean, you have a five thousand foot drop, right? You know, and and you're dealing with rock, but you're also dealing with the snow, you know, which that medium changes quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with the ice. That yeah, you have to be super, super on on point. Otherwise, you're gonna take the ride of your life. I guess you know, yeah. like the last one, the last one, right? Yeah, but. The journey is, is it, it might sound cliche, but the journey instead of the destination, that's that's what I remember the most. Mm-hmm. You know, I do remember like being up there and just looking around and seeing all these iconic uh, peaks and walls and all that and just being up there by myself and just kind of having this, it's like, oh, wow, like I'm all the way up here, you know, and, and in a place that is that is super magical, you know, like you have to, you have to be there to understand the scale of this place. You know, um, I've been in many mountains and and many summits, but this one is just like, it's like the giants of the giants, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, so it was pretty cool, man, to be up there and, and, uh, make the whole journey. Well, it's also, I mean, that one, like when you're talking about the eternal flame, um, you know, it's as this like all capsized big wall, maybe even a little bigger. Um, what I think people kind of like forget to put in the mix when you, when you compare those two things is just how like genteel that El Cap actually is, oh, you know, totally, in terms of weather, in terms of rescue. And then also like the fact that when you top out, you're done. I mean, you know, the, the, the East Ledges has its scary moments for sure, especially if you're trying to carry a haul bag down it. But, you know, you're done. You're on top. Like this is if the worst comes to worst and many people have had to do this, you march through the woods until you get to the road. And that so to compare the two is like a very, very distant comparison, I think, even though that's anytime someone's wall climbing anywhere around the world, you'll see, you'll hear that like, well, this is about the size of El Cap or like twice the size of El Cap or half the size of El Cap. Yeah. But El Cap is like, you know, it's like the gym climbing big wall of the world in a way, because it's, everything is there for you. And to, to get to the top of El Cap and then realize that you have to do this like sketchy descent back down El Cap versus like, you know, grabbing that jug of water that you pre pre-placed for yourself and then walking down 
Oh yeah, <laughs> you know totally. what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. It's kind of the comparison is just it's apt in a way because everybody can relate, or a lot of climbers can relate to El Cap, but it's also just like completely ludicrous to compare the two. Two totally, I mean? two yeah. totally different yeah. things, you know. And and uh, I think we all had a, a learning experience from from that, you know, like. Yeah, El, El Capitan is, is just is just a whole different thing. Yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, as rad as it is, and as hard as the roots are, it's still, it's still like, almost like nowadays, like entry level wall climbing. You know? I mean, you're in a national yeah. park in yeah, this yeah. country. In yeah. national parks, they are well maintained. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally, so you yeah. literally just wrap or walk down, and you're on a major national park yeah in a know? city in totally. the case of in the case of yosemite like, yeah oh, over there get a sandwich and like, yeah so well um that's awesome and and uh um yeah i mean and and then like it seems like you talk about sort of reflection and and you really were adamant about wanting to talk about that on on the show you yeah. know um so it seems like it had sort of a, a effect on you as a climber Oh, totally, man. I think it was like, in a way for me, it was, it was a, a, like a pinnacle right. of, of uh, not only the objective, but like the commitment on doing something mm -hmm. by yourself and being out there by yourself and just being like, hey, like, yeah, I didn't even have a stove. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, brew a 17,000 feet, and then I just had one water bottle and a couple of snacks because everything needed to be like... You know, and everything needed to be super, super light, at least for me. So it was like zero room for error, like zero, like right, right. zero. Like I didn't even have enough, like clothes to spend an eye up there if something went wrong or anything like that, you know. I get what people like to go out there by themselves, mm -hmm. you know, into the mountains. Like like Kyle used to be one of those dudes who, Kyle Dempster, mm -hmm. who go out there by himself in these mountains. And the guy who did the, the logistics for us, uh, higher ground expeditions, this guy Gafor, who have done... Oh, right, yeah, yeah. He's Kyle and, and HK's guy over there. Yeah, and, was, yeah. and uh, Kelly and, uh, oh, yeah, and Josh Ward. Dude, yeah. the story that it, he tells when they did... Uh, Asalem Alekum, I think it was, that route that those guys put up. And, yeah. and the way he talks, is like, oh, yeah, I was watching them. And I saw that something fell down, and it turned out to be their stove. And they won, you know? And he's have this, right, this right. accent. He's like, those fuckers are crazy. And yeah. I thought they were going to come back down. I had dinner for them, but... However many days later, yeah, they right. come down and they look like shit. He's like, they're crazy. And uh, he also used to say that him and Kyle go alpine style. Yeah, you know, him like, and Kyle go alpine he just, style. Like, each one of them carry a, a backpack and Gafford goes to the high point with, with uh, Kyle and then Kyle just goes and right, do his right, thing. Right. And, yeah. And, um, so yeah, Gafford is such a, like, such a wonderful person and, and he have you have as much climbing history in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like else, really you know? cool that they found that guy. Because, I mean, I know so many people that go climbing over there and have like, you know, and you guys did too. We talked about it on here, the, pre, the, the trip to Kyrgyzstan where you just have all these problems with the outfitters and the liaisons and the oh, cooks man, and stuff. Yeah. And so they just like lucked into finding not just a guy that's good at what he does but personality wise they just seem to have clicked with them i mean he loves he loved those guys oh yeah, yeah. dude and and just these stories and the history that is yeah. almost like untold history you know yeah yeah uh, especially from a third eye kind of guy is uh is pretty pretty neat man so yeah 
But uh, yeah, it was cool. And, and uh, we also actually had to witness the rescue of the guys in Latok, mm. the two Russian guys. All right. The guy who fell with all the gear and the other guy who was up there for how many days. Right. And the helicopters right. came and got him. Uh, on our hiking to um, base camp, you have to pass a couple military bases. And we saw like the helicopters flying mm-hmm. in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really see Latok from there, but we saw the two helicopters and we asked Gafor and, and uh, Gafor told us that they were right. like, basically like trying to get the guy. And we were hiking around uh, this um, military base. We saw the two helicopters coming back, someone getting out, packaging, you know, like yeah. a patient kind of style. Right. They put did something to him, put him back in the helicopter and flew away and... So it just kind of give you, it definitely give you that that sense of like, all right, this is for real, you know, like mm-hmm. in order for you to get a helicopter in Pakistan, man, it's the primary minister have to be involved. It's, right. it's, it's quite involved thing. So, um, yeah, expedition has been pretty cool. Um, Alaska, you know, also like climbing in Alaska has been awesome. Going to the Revelations with my good friend Clint Hillander, um, who he introduced me to that place and, and having a couple mega epics on that place. One time we got hit by an avalanche in, in base camp. We lost everything. It was one of the most um, uh, just crazy things that I have experienced in the mountains, you know, just just being stripped everything by everything by an avalanche we survived as this avalanche and then three days into like full-on survival mode you know um somehow we survived that thing it was crazy then the next year we went back well wait what happened after three days did they come and get you what yeah Yeah. oh yeah how did they know well we were like in in touch with a friend of ours who's who's a pilot okay and then he came um basically to our rescue right you know uh but it was one of the most like traumatic things. I remember just having like nightmares, literally nightmares after that, because it was a couple nights when we were keep getting hit by 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 avalanches. We were in a little bit safer spot, but like you can feel the the, the powder cloud mm-hmm. and like sleeping with your boots. Our train, our tent got totally destroyed, so we were sleeping on this like quasi put tent together, and like we're just like you know we lost some fair amount of gear um so it was just one of those things that again like just puts into perspective but like oh wow this is the full-on so the next year we went back with our friend leon um we climbed this phase halfway up leon's cramp and broke you know so we tried to fix it but it didn't really turn out so when they came to pick us up the the uh it was so much wind that you have this like wind slab um, on top, and then this sugary snow at the bottom. So our friend Connor, who flew us in, he bl- he brought one of his bigger planes, and we want to try to take off. We put all our gear in one pile, and he only have weight for the three of us to get out, right? So we are all strapped in into into uh, the plane and doing the you know like the glacier takeoff, and he just start going and going and going and going, and he's like, nope, I don't like it. He's he's having like he's not really gaining a speed. Right, right. So we're like, oh man. And then at the end of the run runway, quote unquote, you can see boulders, right? So he's like, you guys are gonna have to get out. And so his plan it was for us to get out, for him to take off light, and then do a couple passes to compact the thing. And he goes all like another quarter of the way down, and he's just not really making it. So he stops, and we're like, oh shit. We went there, and we have to take everything out of the plane. Anything that you could like basically like 
take out of the plane. We like dump some fuel. Um, one of the things that I remember is like we leave the uh, the skis of the plane, and I'm like under one of the skis, putting a skin wax from our approach skis on the uh, on the ski of on the, the plane, ski. and I'm looking at this thing. It's like if this plane shift is gonna like it's gonna crush me, you know, and I'm like. Doing like putting a uh, skin wax on the plane and all that, <laughs> dude. It was so epic. And then, so we took everything out of the plane, and it was like movie style. We we're like giving hugs to Connor, and we we're like, "All right, dude, vaya con Dios," you know, right, go with right. God. I was like, and then he just went like full, like you know, Indiana Jones style. Like he was like, because it's like once you get a, a plane stuck in the middle of the revelations, it's like. A helicopter is gonna have to come and get that thing. And that stuff is gonna cost thousands and thousands yeah, yeah, of dollars. Yeah, like some so he, sky crane helicopter oh, is like dude. gonna cost so much money. So he just went for it and like the last the on the last second before the boulders he just lift off. You know, it was just like disrelief and then he did the past thing when he compacted everything and um yeah. So he was like coming down and like sitting like skimming the snow a yeah. few times to try to create a runway. Correct. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, he finally did it and he took us out. And then like the next day uh, or later that night, he went and he got all our gear, you know, because we had a pile right. of gear right. on top of it. And uh, uh, yeah, expeditions, man. These things are, you learn a lot, but. It's lucky those pilots are such cowboys. Oh, dude. Yeah, and yeah. cowgirls, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, John Varco now is a, yeah. is a pilot over right. there, you know, and he does, like, all kinds of crazy stuff. So pretty incredible, the things that you do. And, and, and the stories, when you come back, people are like, oh, how was it? And you're like, man, it's just so hard to put into words. Even mm -hmm. what I just told you is just hard to put the sentiment and, and everything that we all felt on that moment. You right, know? Like, right, right, right. Uh, of just being like this is this is full on, um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. But you know the good old Ure Ice Park and Ure area train you for like the big mountains. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, you're in the hot tub, and then you're like, well, maybe we should go do some pitches. And you're like, nah, let's wait a little bit longer in the hot tub. And then you're like, okay, let's go do some pitches. And then like three hours later. Back in the hot tub, yeah, totally. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that was epic, bro. Yeah. And then when you, <laughs> you remember like, that last last pitch we did, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you mean right over there? Yeah, right. Pointing from the hot tub, <laughs> totally. It's like, oh, the the round number nine in the school room. Okay, was now sick, where are we gonna know? get food tonight? Should we go to this restaurant or that restaurant? Who has right. better margaritas? Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> but you know, like this the, is epic, bro. <laughs> for me, that's kind of like my stomping ground. Yeah, so totally. like, when I go to the big mountains, it's kind of like, oh, you know, like. Feel even archer back, swing right. one thing right. and another, and and uh, ice climbing over there. Well, I mean, it, it, joking around, but still, I mean, there's nowhere in the world where you can get the mileage on ice like you can in the ice park. And a lot of times, you know, being fit and being ready is just a matter of mileage. Oh, totally. In other places where you have to go, like march into the mountains you know, from your local zone and do like two pitches of ice or three pitches of ice in a day, that doesn't get you mileage. It's like you've done three pitches of ice like before 10 a.m. in the right. ice park. Right, know? right. So, I mean, joking aside, it's like just swinging your tools 
is gonna is preparing you and and you make more sticks with your tools you're probably going to be more prepared oh totally yeah so it's it's definitely like has its value as a training place yeah yeah and 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 that place is pretty special you know just so much history and so much climbing Mm -hmm. up there and in fact one of the the fun the, the most memorable days of ice climbing over there it was with with this guy mike pennings uh you probably know quite well talking yeah about yeah like, oh, i know mike pennings. that's guys. another guy yeah that's like a cia agent or something yeah. although i happen to know that he's not but um but yeah he's an he's like a a legend in colorado i think but beyond that oh man yeah he's probably kind of unheard of yeah so so i'm like i'm having this like or the San Juans is having this amazing ice season, right? And, and Mike is going to go ice climbing with Jesse Huey in, uh, in Norway. And uh, Jesse's like, hey, dude, make sure that Mike goes ice climbing because they're going to go on this trip. And Mike, Mike having ice climbing like a decade or something like that. Right. That dude doesn't even know what like leashless ice axes are, right? right? right like right, right, he's, yeah, he's yeah. like like you, like back. You know, in the day, like straight shaft, knuckle bangers, mm-hmm. you know. But that. see, the thing that about Mike is that is that he is he really is like the off the couch master of the universe. Oh, like my that's God. always been his. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't. Uh, yeah, you don't train. I mean, you just go climbing and yeah. you get it done. And if you're unprepared, you just try harder. Totally. Basically, so yeah, I can imagine Jesse's sort of like, yeah, I know he's not going to do it on his own. So oh no, can. he's not. He 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 actually doesn't really like ice climbing at all. He's like, dude, ice climbing is dumb. You know, like why you do that? Let's go skiing instead. Right. But then I was like, Mike, let's go ice climbing. And he's like, okay, yeah, I need to go ice climbing before I go to uh to Norway. And I'm like, he's like, all right, what time are you gonna pick me up? And I was like, I'm gonna pick you up at two a.m. And he's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, I have this plan. You know, and in my mind, you know, I have this master plan. I just needed someone who was stoked on doing it so good old mike is like oh yeah okay whatever so i go and pick up mike at 2 a.m uh in richway and we drive to telluride and i'm basically like lending all my gear right like adjusting crampons on the go and ice tools you know nomics he doesn't even know how to like what a nomic is like and uh leashless which mm-hmm. is like the new school and then we want and we we go and climb a bridal bell right so I start leading because he's like, dude, like I'm so rusty ice climbing. You go and lead. So, well, when he was ice climbing, that was still like, a, it was illegal to climb it, right? And b, if you did, it was like an ultimate career making test piece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So like times have changed. Yeah. So I start climbing Bridal Vale, and we're just gonna do a continuous movement. So basically, we're simul climb the whole mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. I'm like climbing there with like my headlamp on and it's cold and all that. And all of a sudden, I hear like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. and I'm like, what's going on? Yelling is like, I almost dropped my tool. You know, like, <laughs> so we like simul Bridalville. Then I was like, all right, let's go to Ames, the ice hose, right? right? Uh, and the ice hose was like, like you say, like back when when uh, um, Michael Kennedy and and Lou Dawson, Dawson yeah. did the first ascent. It was funny, you know, like the last time that I was hanging out with. Hayden here in Rifle for Dave Peck's memorial, Hayden was asking his dad, why is that the ice hose took them like two days to climb? He's like, dad, what? why took you guys so long? You right. know, and Michael is like, dude, try to do that with like, you know, like straight shaft and like those pounding uh, ice crews and yeah, all snarks that. And and, all yeah, snarks and so, strap on crampons. Oh, and, dude, yeah. 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 So we Leather went and, boots probably. Right. 
we went and we climbed um, um, the ice hose, finish, and I'm like, all right, let's go to Ure. So we went and we did uh, the uh, the talisman, you know, we simul climbed talisman, came back down. And by then now, Mike was feeling like, all right, I want to lead some stuff. So we went and we do uh, Bear Brain, you know. Um, so Mike no, is, I don't. But I'll just well, yeah. You know, I'm assuming like, people know what you're, <laughs> how you're talking about. These are hard pitches in the ice park or something. No, they're like actually like pretty long routes. Like oh oh, if, up above your ray. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah okay okay. Like cool. long routes. Like one of just to put it in perspective, one of those routes for most people it will take a full day. Right right right. right? right. Now we are in our fourth route, and Mike is out there just doing his thing. You know, like climbing. well, that's. Really, like that is probably the the fundamental thing of Mike Pennings is just the ability to keep going and have energy and stoke for for you know twenty four hour thirty six hour missions. Oh like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's up there like just doing his thing. We climb uh, Bear Brain, uh, and then there is another route to the to the left. It's called the Ribbon, and uh, we did that, and then we drove to Silverton, and we end up doing. Uh, stairway to heaven um, and the stairway to heaven is pretty funny because by then we were like it was like uh, dark already and Mike is like he wants to lead the first speech of stairway to heaven and stairway to heaven is like a massive ice floor right and I'm like sitting there like eating some uh, some snacks and just belaying him and all of a sudden I start hearing this like super hollow ice and I'm like when the fuck is Mike climbing that is like hollow ice so I point my headlamp and put on like full throttle and I see him and he's just totally missed the main floor and he's climbing some bullshit eyes on the left side and I'm like he's like dude this is kind of sketchy up here and I'm like oh my god dude you are the only person who just misses the massive floor and you're like questioning something and we finished that route and then went to whorehouse houses climb whorehouse houses and then we actually went and started looking for uh, this other route that is called Dukes of Hazard. But by then, it was super late. We're so tired. Like, our feet hurt so much kicking and swinging and all that. So we bail on that. But we basically end up climbing uh, seven routes on a day. Nice. And the previous time, it was, the, I think the, the, the previous record or whatever is uh, four routes, you know. So we finish the day. And, and basically what kept us fueled throughout the day was these rice cakes that Vince Anderson told us to make that. So the rice cakes, a bunch of Red Bulls, and chewing tobacco. That's what <laughs> that was kept us going. Well, one other. If, if Pennings is involved, there was one other substance <laughs> involved as well. But <laughs> it was so much. A, a fun, very Colorado-centric <laughs> climbing. Uh, for some people, a, a climbing stimulant. Oh man, it sorts. was. <laughs> it was so cool just to like do dying, you know, and just watching Mike. And by the time we finished, you're like, all right, cool. I don't have to. I don't have to climb for another decade. You yeah. know? They went to Norway and then they did their mission over there. Right, right. But like, uh, till the day, he haven't really ice climbed right. since. You did know? he go buy some tools or is he still borrowing shit when he went no, to Norway? No, no. I think he was probably borrowing some yeah, stuff. Yeah. He's not going to buy ice climbing gear. No way, dude. He probably will buy his, his skis, if that. Right but, on, right on. Um, yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool uh, spending some time with him up there. And, and uh, that day is just one of a kind. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, dude. 
Let's talk about your professional life, um, All right. which is as a professional climber aside. I mean, guiding is a professional life, too, but um, uh, it's somewhat new. I mean, you've sort of dabbled in it, but now it's your living. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of your full time gig. Totally. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit of a transition into that. And if that was uh, something you aimed for for a long time or was it an opportunity that just that, that came up uh, out of nowhere or, or how that that came about? Let's see. I, I actually, I've been climbing like sponsor climber for close to 12 years, right. you know, but different companies do different things, you know, in terms of their program and all that. I've been climbing uh, for Petzl for 12 years okay. and everything from like, I started as like a regional athlete, went into more like a national athlete and now I'm like part of like the global athlete and uh beyond that i get to do a fair amount of like r&d okay. so research and development with with petzl in uh ice axes crampons uh, ice crews all kinds of stuff you know you invented the grigri right pretty much yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no no <laughs> but uh but that's pretty cool you know and and um and I have worked for like 510 and uh, Aslo and Low Alpine, uh, Millet for a little while. And then four years ago, uh, Conrad Anchor actually brought me into the, uh, the TNF team, which was awesome. You know, Conrad has been a good friend of mine, someone that I know for a long time from festivals and things like that. And someone that I really look up, uh, up to, you know, and, and I had the opportunity to to be part of TNF and uh, on the Alpine climbing team. And m- deeper than that, actually, I get the opportunity to develop a lot of, like, uh, uh, items or, or gear for them, you know, in the in the Summit Series side of things. So it's really cool because I get to climb nowadays full-time for the past about four years. But beyond that... Um, which climbing is pretty cool. This is my life. But I sometimes feel like I need to do something else, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, working on the R&D, working with the designers and developers and, and all that, is, it, it have a spark a different creative side of me, you know, learning about materials and ergonomics and, and all that stuff. There's so much to go into making gear, you know. And uh, for some reason, I pretty good at that stuff you know just like coming with different ideas and different ways of doing stuff and um uh it's been really really cool you know so that's that's i would say that's my forte in terms of what i can you know give back to a company as Mm -hmm. an athlete Mm -hmm. is uh it's just my 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 ideas and and willing to work uh you know like blue collar call it right uh, right. uh, a professional athlete you know, alpinist. Uh, and it's pretty sweet when you like take something that comes from your own needs and those guys listening to you or listen to you and then they understand where you're coming from and then you start like seeing prototypes and first and second and third round of prototypes and uh, and all of a sudden there is like, you see in like climbing shops or like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like that. So um, that's pretty cool, man. So you've been on the North Face team as a, as a sort of full team member for about three or four years, right? Yeah, four years now. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, 
I don't know, was it two years ago? Uh, I don't even know how long it's been. Like, time has become this strange this year in the right. 2020. Like, <laughs> something seemed like ancient history that <laughs> happened like a week ago. I know, you know totally. Other shit's yeah. like right in your face. But so you were on the team um, when the House Peace Peak accident happened and, and right. you guys lost, you know, three friends as well as team members in uh, Hans Org Auer and Jess Roskelly and, and David, David Lama. You'll you have your personal, you know what you dealt with that personally because you were close with with um, at least two or three of those guys, and of course knew Hans as well. But uh, you know, my question, I guess, is what sort of soul searching or reflection did you feel like happened within the North Face team as a as a group? Because more often than not, these climbers that do perish in the mountains these days are on are either sponsored climbers or they're on, you know, sponsored expeditions, it, you know, whether it's Russian climbers or French climbers or American climbers, it's just like the people that play in that atmosphere are usually, or oftentimes not on their own trip. I mean, we mentioned fucking Schaefer a while ago. That guy seems to just pull it off on his own, but, right. but you know, so, you know, what can you tell me about like what the self-reflection and within the team was like, where you have to reflect on, you know, accusations that somebody might have been being pushing themselves because they're sponsored. That's always been in the ether within climbing and all those sorts of things. Uh, right. How did the team sort of approach and deal and, and, and process that loss of these like three superstar members and just great guys that, that all perished together on one, one mountain? Yeah, you know, I, I I truly believe that within and and for me is in my own personal life too. Like out of bad situations, always good things happen. Learning experiences and self reflection, or ways to do things differently, all and things like that. In this case, it was I mean it was pretty pretty cool. I think from my perspective, just because the whole entire company got involved you know us and like i mean all the way from the ceo down to someone like myself which is just an athlete you know um and uh it was unity and it was uh a lot of team building that happens from that and and people were asking questions to like people like myself alpinists or people mm -hmm. who were like mm -hmm. super close to them and and uh the company really just put all the resources that they had to uh to help us with that you know like uh nowadays we have team tate which is a uh, a professional um what's the word for this a, uh, like a counselor a counselor right who's like there for us basically 24 7 mm -hmm. you know he actually helped conrad when he lost uh alex low and when that happened the avalanche that happened in the himalayas with them and he's been working with team since since back then, you know. Uh -huh. um, so, I mean, it, it's been really, really awesome to see the um, the support that we get from from the company and just just for them to be there for us. And, and listen, like, no one was obligated to do anything. You know, we know what we're getting ourselves into and we know that our profession is, is a... Is, is a is dangerous right you know i in the skiing and running in in rock climbing in alpinism you know i think alpinism out of all of them that i just mentioned you ha have to deal with way more um unknowns or certains or like variables but uh man the response of the brand it was it was awesome you know to see that we never 
were left alone, you know, mm-hmm. and they were always like, hey, we're here for you guys, whatever you guys need. And and uh, I think that's what it's all about. And, and I have nothing but respect and, and uh, appreciation for what the brand did for for their families and, and, and to keep remembering them. But for all the, the rest of us who have to kind of, uh, at least for me, carry the burden uh, mentally, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of that. You know, there is there is truly no day that I don't think about those guys. You know, I have a picture of of, of David and, and all of them um, in my phones from different, on my phone from different, like, um, adventures that we did, we did together. And in my camper, I have uh, some pictures and... and uh, and every time that I make a, a decision, you know, in the mountains or climbing, I'm just like, oh man, let's just be, you know, be mindful of of what you're doing and decision makings and 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 all that, just because it's it's real, right? You know, and and losing them, it was uh, something really really sad, obviously. Uh, but what happens and happens, and you have to move on or at least for me, I have to move on with my career and, and with my climbing and who I am carrying their torch and remembering them. And, um, it's just something that things happen, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I've, I've been on this whole enormous casting for 10 years and, and, uh, you know, it's like we, there's several people I've interviewed that are not here anymore, right? you know, or friends of them or, you know, most poignantly within the Normacast world, uh, Hayden Kennedy, who didn't die on a mountain, um, but was, you know, it was sort of kind of peripherally involved in mountains um, with the skiing accident that precipitated him, him taking his own life. But, you know, I, it just like, it bristles me to, to, to sort of, you know, this idea that like, which I think was in sort of the ether uh, of like, oh yeah, the, the, the sponsorship pushes these climbers to do these things that they, you know, wouldn't normally do or, you know, push the envelope. And it's just like, it's just such an insult to say that about three, you know, bright, autonomous adults, you know, who, who, who completely understood what they're doing. You know, Hans Rogauer understood what, the risks were that he was taking there's you know he's and it's like it kind of like bums me out because it's just like well what are you saying he was a child who didn't who couldn't understand like what he was getting into so i i I mean that reflection of like stuff happens in the mountains you know it sounds sort of like cliche but that's the ultimate truth is that you can't control all these factors and the people going into the mountains especially at that level, like fully understand that simple fact of like, there are things that are uncontrollable. Oh, totally. And and in in this case, man, like these three guys are highly trained athletes, highly trained athletes. Like Hans was a mountain guy, like certified mountain guy, you know, um, Lama has been climbing since he was, little dude you know and he climbed in all the greatest ranges you know and and uh jess grew up on a mountain guy 
right. home, you right. know, like John Roskell is a mountain guy and did amazing things. Actually, how I met Jess, it was guiding in Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. you know. So those guys Which are... Which is sad, the 80th or like the 85th? When did you meet him? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually in the beginning of my career when okay. I had like one or two summits. But those guys were highly trained and they were taking every single calculated risk that I yeah. was to take and it wasn't... They knew, you know, they they knew that every step that they were taking and every, but in the same time, you just, nothing is guaranteeing the mountains. Right. Nothing is guaranteeing the mountains. You know, you can uh, stack the odds in your favor and then some freaky accident happened. Mm-hmm. Funny, dude, like I was actually walking here uh, in the, uh, we are in rifle and I was walking towards the project wall and I'm like walking with my backpack and all that and like I'm going to do my warm up. And then I just heard this like, boom. And I look back and it's a rock, dude. A rock probably like a this size, you know, like baseball size or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it falls down from the top. Right. You know, like 10 seconds later, dude, it would have hit me in the head. Right. So it's like, it's one of those things that in life that you just have no control whatsoever. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was their, their case. It was just a freaky accident and, and they do happen, you know, and in right. the mountains they happen. So. Yeah. It's a, it's sad they're gone still. Yeah. I'm sure you, and you, I'm sure you miss those guys. Oh yeah, for sure, man. It's it's, uh, it's friends, you know. It's your family. Is is the people that you know you you work with and you grew up with. Grew up as in like you know as a climber, as right. in professional setting, and and uh, you become really really tight with people. And uh, yeah, it's just death is part of life, mm-hmm. obviously, you know. And and um, I guess you just have to like conceptualize and 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 just try to to deal with all that. Well, man, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a long time. We've talked about it a lot. Actually. I know, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like half the time that when we're just hanging out, shooting the shit, I'm like, oh, man, we should be recording this. <laughs> it's like always a good time and always really, really funny. So yeah. I, I wish you well, and I hope that the uh, the expeditions get back underway here so you can get back to sort of your calling up there in the big mountains and, you know, yeah. less knee barring and more... Uh, <laughs> More marching up snow slopes, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm super stoked to be here, and thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, hopefully things get better, and we can all go to the mountains to ski and run and climb. And Otherwise, we just keep climbing the same slippery feet and, <laughs> and you know, under cleans and yeah. pinches here in rifles. So it's all good. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome to the end of that epic, epic podcast with Andreas. Thank you so much for sitting down, Andreas. And uh, actually, the cool thing is we got to climb together both the days that we recorded. Uh, We did actually do that one in person out in Rifle. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to go climbing. And and, uh, one we did afterwards and one we did before. So just an old school Normacast style. Uh, Feels like a long time since I've done that. All right, folks. Everybody is on the road right now. Everybody is out climbing. It's crazy. It seems like the opposite of what's supposed to be happening. I read an article that were a 300% increase in visitors in a lot of climbing areas. So be careful. That's a lot of people running around. Be careful of the environment. You know, be extra careful about where you put your feet, what you clean up, where your poop goes, all those things. And of course, 
check your knot. This whole country needs to be checking each other's knots right now. Some knot checking would do us all some good. Thank <laughs> you.